Welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I am the founder and lead creator of Deeper Into Movies. We are a pop-up cinema based in London. Today on the podcast, I am joined by British director Prano Bailey Bond to talk about her new movie, Sansa. It's a horror movie about a British film censor who links a disturbing horror movie to her sister's mysterious disappearance. Really cool film, and it delves into the world of video nasties, the 80s horror movie hysteria. As you know, I love VHS. I grew up with video stores. I loved banned films. I loved anything that was edgy and taboo or I shouldn't be watching it and putting it into my brain. Pirate videotapes were so exciting and also kind of terrifying because at the end of a video, there'd always be some weird shit after the film that you didn't know what you're about to watch. Is this a fucking snuff film? Is this a TV sitcom? Is it going to be porn? Uh, Good times. So, here's a true story. When my brother was a teenager, I think this must be before I was born, or I wasn't invited, but my family went to my aunt's house, and my aunt is just a totally cute, sweet Irish woman, totally normalcore, and she said to my brother, "Um, you look a bit bored, do you want to watch something? And there was a pile of videotapes in her living room. So he went and started browsing and he said it was just the normal type of stuff you'd expect, like Disney movies, The Goonies, Neverending Story, and a fucking pirate copy of The Evil Dead. So my brother took the tape, went into her bedroom where they had a TV video combo, and just fucking watched The Evil Dead at like age 12. And just completely fucked him up and came out. And he didn't want to mention it. But yeah, what the fuck was my aunt doing with fucking video nasties in her living room? How did that even get into the house? Who gave it to her? Where did she buy this? Why did she own it? Fucking crazy. The 80s were lit. (laughs) Okay, here is me and... Prano Bailey Bond talking horror movies, video nasties, and her new film, Censor. Lost Boys t-shirt today yeah Sick. I'm glad you noticed I'm um, because I've got Kiefer Sutherland down here so yeah they're only noodles Michael Lost Boys was my biggest obsession as a kid me too it was yeah. the first VHS I bought when a video store was closing down and I bought it for three pound and oh, wow. watched it almost every day yeah I know people I know people say that but literally almost every day i think i watched it about once a week i went through a shining phase as well that where i watched that about once a week as well but the lost boys i used to watch all the time at home with my sister 
And then the first time I ever saw it with a crowd was at, I think it was at like a music festival in Ireland and everybody was reciting all the lines. Amazing. And it was like, wow, all of us were watching this film on our own at home on video. And now we've all come together and we were all saying, you know, like, they're only noodles, Michael, and death by stereo. <laughs> um, it was great. It was such a great experience. Lost Boys was one of those films where, as a kid growing up in North London, when you see Corey Haim's bedroom, and you realize how sucky your room is, and all the, <laughs> I think I, I I need to write an article on cool teenage bedrooms in movies that are impossible to obtain in real life, <laughs> and just make you feel really sucky about your home. Uh, maybe it's because you had more to do in London, like in Wales, as a kid growing up. I I spent a lot of time decorating my bedroom because there wasn't loads of other things to do. So I did. I tried to put things on. I, I know in movies they always had movies at uh angle just sliding yeah. down and when i did it it just looked stupid <laughs> and even to the point when in lost boys you know he i used to go around all the time asking for the vampires everywhere comic yeah and the comic book guy was like i told you last time it doesn't <laughs> exist just stop and i'm like but it's in the movie and we're like please just Oh, leave me alone and start asking for this. we were all living in our own little fantasies i think i wanted to be a vampire for a while as well like there was a definite like i really wanted to join that gang but easily the coolest vampires totally yeah me and bat for lashes screened this movie in london last year or the year before and i said i think it's got a real kenneth anger influence with uh motorcycle i think it feels a little bit scorpio rising with like the motorcycles and they keep on flashing to jim morrison yeah and stuff but i don't know i think everyone thought i was kind of reaching <laughs> but I I, <laughs> I I i i feel real scorpio rising vibes <laughs> from philosophy that's all good if you see it then it's there so you grew up with video stores well we had one near house we had one in Tregaron which was the next town because I grew up in a village so we didn't have a video store in our house but we had one called Elveds and it was this like punky guy in this little town who had a basically it was a corridor of wall-to-wall floor-to-ceiling videos um so that was a, a special place I think it had a special smell as well <laughs> what did what were your go-to rentals were there films you kept on checking out Oh, they were the ones that I'd, I'd record off the telly or buy when I got a bit older and I was able to, like, actually save up pocket money and buy. Um, but The Lost Boys was, you know, one I owned. Um, we had on the video shelf, like, a razor head, um, Duck Soup by the Marx Brothers. Yeah. I loved that. Dark Star, I think that film, like, partly shaped my sense of humour. <laughs> because it's just so bizarre and sort of funny and uncomfortable. Um, and then when I got a bit older, Gummo, as you know, yeah. um, you've got the poster behind you, and uh, American Psycho was a big one for me. Really? Did you like the book as well? I actually still haven't read the book, which is really crap of me, but um, I need to read it, but I've watched the film, I don't know how many times. I used to watch it over and over again. What was it about that film that made you keep on coming back to it? I think it's the mixture of um, humour and 
sort of trippiness and horror that that it manages to kind of perfectly balance it's so funny like I think of that scene where he's watching his colleagues bring their business cards out yeah and the like pressure he's under you know in terms of um being like the best and having the best and and the fact that that's kind of hilarious um but also really unsettling all at the same time to me it was it was that that you know as a kid really drew me to that film I think that anything that had a little bit of a wink or a sense of humor definitely got my got my vote I'm friends with the author Dennis Cooper who was friends with Christian Bale and he did Velvet Goldmine Mm. and he was saying to them this was really exciting this is a really radical movie and I think I want to do more stuff like it and he's like I got this American Psycho script and they're like oh fucking do that instantly but I think his da- I think Christian Bell's dad was kind of ha- trying to help him shape his career, and I think he want- he pitched him as said to- said to him, "You need to be the new Roger Moore." Yeah. <laughs> and then Dennis Cooper was like, "No, trust me, do American Psycho is going to be so much fun." So I think yeah, I think he edged him toward doing that role. I'm so glad he did because he's so perfectly cast in that. And then he went from that to Batman, didn't he? So he oh, and then he went. From- from Batman to the Machinist. It was like wow. physically the transformation. Cause you look at him in in um I think he had his teeth done for American Psycho. I don't know if this is actually true or not. I heard that he had his teeth redone for American Psycho. And then obviously he lost so much weight for the machinist and the commitment um that he brings to a role physically is just kind of quite out of this world, really. Yeah, I can't see it being healthy at all. No. Really bad. No. But hey, he lives for his art. This is true. <laughs> I'll <laughs> gladly watch him do it. But mm. Can you quickly explain for people who may not be familiar um, the Video Nasties era and hysteria? Yeah. So basically it all, all came from VHS being invented because there was a bunch of horror films that uh, wouldn't get classification to show in the cinema. So up until that point, these these films hadn't been seen because the only way to watch them would have been in in the cinema. So now VHS has happened and all these like horror films can now go direct to the home on VHS. And there was no form of censorship in place at that point for VHS. So people started to panic about what these films were going to do to us all because now we've got this new technology where, you know, these films can be played in the home, people can rewind and rewatch them, kids can get their hands on them, and people freaked out. And that was when the BBFC had to sort of start classifying video. Um, But what happened was there was like um, a list that slowly grew of banned films Um, you know, as the the BBFC went through and watched these films, they started banning things like Cannibal Holocaust, um, Last House on the Left, I Spit on Your Grave. And that became like a holy grail for the horror fan and anybody who wanted to challenge themselves to to watch the scariest thing that was out there. So it was brilliant advertising for for a bunch of of horror horror films. and also by making them illicit, I think they they became more mysterious, more attractive. Um, so I think it actually probably made a lot of kids want to watch these films more. Um, so yeah, that's, a, I guess, in a nutshell, the Video Nasty 
era, but but the hysteria around these films was just fascinating. You know, what was going on in the tabloid press about these films and the fact that they were going to turn us all into murderers and psychopaths uh, is sort of the sort of thing that makes you laugh and cry all at the same time. As I was saying on my intro, band movies as a kid were so fucking exciting and so taboo and it just made you want to watch from more. Mm. I had a cool older brother who got me into lots of cool things and he knew a weird guy down the road who always had band movies and pirate movies of cinema releases and so we just had to connect. I saw Clockwork Orange, which freaked me out, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Exorcist. But I was thinking, the thing about these movies is they're always not what you expect them to be from the cover art or what you've heard about them. Yeah. Well, they they were all being like, they were taking all the worst bits from these films, weren't they? And like editing montages together and saying like, these are going to destroy your mind. So you expect it to be like 80 to 90 minutes of like, you know, decapitations and proper full-on blood and gore. But actually they're, they're telling a story. But it's quite funny because... Mary Whitehouse would watch these sort of montages and apparently somebody said, so have you actually seen any of these films? And she said, oh no, I don't need to see the films in in their entirety to know that they're, you know, they're terrible Mm. and awful for our minds. And you just think, well, you haven't really given them a chance then, have you? If anybody who's going to sit and and watch like a montage of the worst bits is going to probably think that they're something that they're not. But... Um, yeah, there, there's so many great ones in there that, I mean, Texas Ch- Chainsaw Massacre is just, it's like pure dread cinema, isn't it? I love yeah. it so much. Were these on your radar growing up? Were you that, was it just me who was seeking out, I always wanted to seek out the most extreme thing I could find until I was around 25 and I saw that there's a Spanish film called Kidnapped, which I saw oh. at Fright Fest. It was like the year after Martyrs and something snapped at me and I was like, I just don't want to see this shit anymore. (laughs) This is just too much. This is so nihilistic and bleak that I was like, yeah, I'm done. I swerved a Serbian film too. I never bothered with. Oh, I saw the uncut. Yeah. I saw the uncut version of that. And that was probably one for me that was like, okay, right. This is going over my threshold of anything that I consider enjoyable to watch. Um, and I, I find that really interesting. I'd love to kind of interview Fright Fest um, audiences because the Fright Fest audience are like the most hardcore horror fans in the UK, aren't they? I'd love to like go around and, and ask them if they've ever seen anything that has gone too far for them because that's fascinating to me that that you watch something that, that maybe like put a break on it. Yeah. Because I do think we've all got a threshold, haven't we? We've all got a point where it's like, oh no, this isn't fun now. I don't I don't like yeah. it. Stop yeah. the ride. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Martyrs, there was a scene the girl who had the plate in her head and when they took it off and there was that moment and I was just thinking, Jesus, what has that girl gone through? And and then also going on my mind to like there's no coming back from this to a normal life after this level of trauma and pain. Yeah. And I just got really sad and I was like, yeah, I, I don't want this, <laughs> this anymore. <laughs> Let me just put like uh, a Wes Anderson 
<laughs> film in my head and just get a nice Pantone color scheme going on or something. This is just, I I'm done. <laughs> but before That's that, brilliant. I was fucking crazy, man. I used to, especially at university, there was like a guy who I met on eBay via email who just had a great list of Asian horror movies and band movies and you just PayPal him £20 and tell him what you want and he'll just send you a stack of DVDRs. Wow, that's great. That's so, the kind of guy you want then. I mean, I, I didn't have anything like that growing up because I was in the middle of nowhere in Wales. So I was just like, I don't even know how I found out about films then because the internet wasn't around. I mean, maybe towards the end of me living in Wales, we had like dial-up internet in our house. But um, I guess I was probably like getting magazines and things like that and just, yeah, finding out through the telly and stuff, how, you know, what films were out. And so how, how did I know about Harmony Green? I don't, I don't know how I found out about him. So how did Video Nasties and, say, the origins of Censor get on your radar? What sparked this film? I mean, I was first drawn to the idea of writing something about a film censor. So that was what came first. I was reading about um, the Hammer Horror era in this article, and they said that one of the only rules they had during that period was that censors would cut the sight of blood on the breast of a woman because they thought it would make men likely to commit rape. And I just started to think about a male film censor who really believed that was true, who started to doubt how like what kind of effect the films and these images were having on them and that was like quite a silly idea in my head but I guess I I just thought oh you know I I'm a massive horror fan I'm always asked you know I make horror and I'm always asked about um why horror so there's a constant conversation going on for me in my own head about um my relationship with horror why I'm attracted to watching this stuff um you know, why I want to make it, what it does for me, basically. Like, is it a therapy? (laughs) Is there a cathartic element to it? And I saw this kind of film censor character as a way of me exploring some of that. And so I started reading about censorship through the ages and um, then quickly landed in the video nasty era because it felt like what was happening, you know, in society was almost what I wanted to explore in the character. So there was this echo in terms of, you know, us all having this complicated relationship suddenly with our moral compass because of the horror that we were being exposed to on screen. Um, So, yeah, and I mean, I don't, I don't, didn't know about the sort of video nasty era term, like politics, et cetera, when I was growing up. To be honest, I think it was more probably in my early 20s when I'd moved to London and I started going to like horror festivals. And that was when I started to discover the the films that didn't reach me in Wales. Like um, I remember watching like my first Lucio Fulci film. I think it was City of the Living Dead at um, uh, Celluloid Screams in Sheffield. And 
you know, and just being like, wow, I love this director. And I felt like I'd seen his work before, but I'd probably seen like clips of it. And so I was always a massive Argento fan, but it's just uh, then I just started to discover more and more of these films kind of as an adult, really. And how was it looking into the censorship? Didn't you say you could you could go back and look through the notes taken of uh, films? Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. The BBFC were surprisingly helpful, actually, right from the beginning. We didn't know, you know, if they'd want to talk to us or not, but they were really open and we went in and chatted to them. And then they let us look through some of the files for things like, well, we looked at as many as we could. We kept going back and booking more out. We saw the ones for The Evil Dead, I Spit on Your Grave, Last House on the Left. I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they go on and on. And it's just so fascinating sitting and reading the comments because these are really highly intelligent people looking at these films in a very specific way. And to us, they're like fun films we watched as teenagers or mm. as young adults. And these people are bringing this like, very educated, very sophisticated kind of language to these films and debating them. And, and you start to see the individual personality of the censor kind of just peeking through, even though they only had their initials on the files, they don't have their full names, but you start to recognise certain initials. Um, so that was really fascinating, um, reading about, yeah, how they'd approach the different films what what they found upsetting or depraved so how did the film come about so you had the censorship and then where did the sister's disappearance come into it and the main character so i quickly decided it was going to be a female character so i think it felt more original and interesting to me and there's a different kind of tension when you watch a woman watching these films to watching a man watching these films also, I felt like if it was a man, people might start to interpret stuff related to like sexual violence in a different way, which wasn't what I wanted to talk about. Um, even though it is part of the film, it's part of the Video Nasty era, you can't really avoid that. But I, I was more interested in, you know, somebody who was having, a, a, a who was maybe their shadow self was like, you know, coming, raising its ugly head. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so, uh, in terms of how it kind of came about, I was writing a treatment quite early on with my co-writer, Anthony Fletcher, and we were working on and off on that for quite a few years because we kept making short films and I was doing music videos. And then in 2016, I teamed up with producer Helen Jones and we formed a trio and that was when Film Wales came on board and we wrote the first draft of the script. Um, and then from there, it, it sort of, you know, it flowed pretty, pretty nicely, actually, for a first feature. Um, we worked with Film Wales Film 4 and the BFI, which was amazing, uh, to shoot the film in 2019. What was the biggest challenge you faced in making the film? I think going into it, probably in my mind, I was always thinking about how do I keep the audience inside Enid's head? It felt like that was the key to the success of the film, that we have to be inside the head of somebody who is interpreting information in a different way to what's, how the information's intended. She's taking a little bit of reality, a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of memory and dream, 
and she's constructing a new story and a new reality for herself. And that means we have to be in her perspective. So that was really about obviously casting somebody who was amazing, which I was lucky to find that amazing person in Neve Alga, somebody who could kind of let us in, into the character, um, but also working really closely with every every department to be in Enid's point of view. So from the way we shoot it and the way we edit it and then how the sound design works to kind of draw us into what Enid's thinking all the time. So I think that was one of the biggest challenges in terms of telling the story. But um, yeah, luckily it seems to have worked out. <laughs> Absolutely. How fun was it making films within a film? Oh, it was so fun. That was probably some of the, the funnest stuff on set, to be honest. Um, the girls in Don't Go in the Church, I was quite, uh, I was really conscious that they were quite young and we were doing stuff with blood and, and axes. They were, it's a fake axe, but it's a very convincing fake axe. And their parents were on set and I was constantly just being like, are you okay? And trying to explain. And beforehand I did a rehearsal and I talked them all through it. And we got on set and they were loving it. They were just like both of them splattered with blood, photos of them holding the axes, smiling and beaming. And um, they really enjoyed themselves. So that was great. And then shooting Asunder was um, super fun. And Annika Summerson, the DOP, really like nailed the lighting in that scene. And the actors, again, were just so up for it because it's a very specific performance style mm -hmm. that I'm asking them to do there and you know I had to kind of reassure them that I wasn't going to make them look bad that it had to be a bit kind of wooden or clunky sure. for it to feel of the time but you're sort of trying to balance constantly leaning into that but not going too far that it becomes a comedy um, yeah. because it has to still like I say be in Enid's point of view so but that was a, a lot of fun. How did Kim Newman come on board? Uh, Kim, um, he is a good friend. So I met Kim in 2010, I think. Um, he chose a short film that I co-directed that was like a M.R. James-inspired ghost story, so right up Kim Street. Um, he selected that for the critics circle of this short film festival. And I met him through that and we became friends and he'd invite me to his uh, birthday party and we used to go to the cinema together and slowly kind of develop this friendship. And um, he's just been really supportive, to be honest, the whole way through making my shorts. He's in Nasty. Lots of people don't spot him, but he's there's a newspaper in Nasty and it, the, the headline is Merchants of Menace and it's about video store owners being arrested and Kim is the video store owner being carried away by the police. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so that's a little Easter egg in Nasty. Um, and so when I was approaching Film Wales to see if they'd come on board to, to fund the script, I asked Kim if he would be an exec producer because he is obviously the godfather of the Video Nasty era. He's a well of, well, an encyclopedia of information you know, and somebody that I knew that I could go and ask questions about the period, um, get film recommendations from, uh, show him the script. And yeah, he was he was amazing and such a huge support. Um, so it was amazing to have him on board. 
any deep cut recommendations you got from Kim that you took on to any film? uh I remember him pointing me at Extro. That was one I because I we had this whole conversation about like Frederick North being a British director, and obviously, you know, it's quite a uh, weird that um, you know the only films really being banned were imports. Um, that British films are fine; they're not going to mm. you know do anything terrible to us. But these foreign films, oh gosh, we've got to be careful of them. Mm. You know, so actually there weren't many British uh, video nasties. But remember him saying uh, to watch Extra, which I thought was bonkers. Um, so yeah, that's a. Two more questions. You said if violent films are supposed to drive a person to commit violent acts, what protects the censor from losing control? Did you get to speak to any censors or find out what it is like just watching? How many films do they watch a day? And I'm wondering what it does to their brain just sitting in a darkened room for that many hours as a job. Yeah, no, they did tell me. I can't remember off the top of my head. I can't remember if it was like between three and four films a day. Um, but when during the 80s, it was actually a part time job. It, now it's a full time job. But most of them came from a different background. James Furman was, a, I think, frustrated filmmaker, um, you know, uh, but then other film censors that I actually did speak to, such as Carol Topolsky, she had a background in psychotherapy. So she was coming to it from that perspective. Um, and I mean, I spoke to a couple and they both had very different experiences. So Carol was very positive about horror films. And when I asked her if she ever felt like these films affected her, you know, when she got home or left work, she didn't seem to feel like that at all. But I did speak to another woman who said that it did, she remembered like walking down an alleyway at night after work and the kind of images of like women having their throats slit kind of running through her head. But she also wasn't a big horror fan. So she wasn't really used to watching this kind of stuff. And I remember her saying to me that um, sitting and watching these films in these dark rooms with no windows that kind of seemed like soft porn, she'd leave work feeling a bit grubby. Mm. Um, so I think it's all about what you go in with in a way as a sense of like, you know, who it's about your personality and what you're used to watching to a certain extent. But I'm, you know, I think lots of people are surprised to hear how many film censors actually really love horror. Um, I've spoken to quite a few that work there today that are, are big horror fans because people have this sort of image of them just hating films and sitting there being like, no, you can't watch this. I hate you film fans, <laughs> but um, they have to love films to do this job because otherwise you'd just be in hell when you're sitting there just watching films day in, day out. Film has kind of shif shifted from the centre of culture, I think. So I was wondering what would it take for a new video, Nasty Hysteria, to rise up? Or mm. could, would it even be possible? I don't know, you know, I just, I don't, know if that could happen again around film I'm not I'm not sure I mean you know never say never I think there are still filmmakers who are upsetting people obviously I mean I'm a big fan of the house that Jack built by Lars von Trier but I know that upset quite a lot of people and he kind of seems to go out of his way to provoke which is 
something I think is really funny, but um, that's just me. <laughs> um, like I'm a fan of, of his work, definitely. Me too. Really big fan. And I love the house that Jack built. So um, I think maybe film's been around for too long. Maybe we need a new type of film or film to be doing something new with technology for us to start worrying about it. Because it seems to me that it's more about the technology that worries us as humans that mm-hmm. we're going to create technology that will change the way our brains work or you know s- flick a switch or something so you know at the moment I see um social media and the internet as being more of a concern to humanity you know in terms of the things we worry about but it's been comic books in the 50s and you know it's been rap music and rock music and video games and um all the things that that young people get obsessed with basically yeah. and then adults go oh no what's going to happen to their brains so um i'm sure there'll be something soon <laughs> that we can all worry about yeah fingers cr- crossed for the tiktok kids to... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly There you go. Me and Prano Bailey Bond. She's really cool. I like her. Go see Sensor. It's out now. We both want a Video Nasties uprising again. I want to see crazy films being made. I want to see them getting banned and passed around on DVDRs, Blu-rays, and shit like that on the black market. Can we do it? I hope so. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Stephen T. Hanley. My engineer is Ewan Henselwood. Our music is by Joshua Eustace, a.k.a. Telephone Tel Aviv. Thank you for listening and see you again soon.